G'day everyone, welcome back to the Buchanan House. It's been awesome to see the variety of settings from which church has been taking place throughout our neighbourhood and throughout our community. It's awesome. Uh, we're back at my shed today, uh, facing another wall in this space, and, um, and I'm having too much fun with this. This will actually feed into a point I'm making in a few minutes. Um, we're going to continue with this series titled Ascent, which is being built around the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to see over time that there are three different ideas of upward motion being uh, presented uh, throughout this time. Uh, for now, in these early stages, the one we're going to work on is the idea of looking up. That's been the story thus far in chapter 1. Uh, Paul uh, has been in a state of thanksgiving and prayer for the Ephesian church, and he's calling them to also draw in the spirit for what they need as well. Uh, Paul, in his place of home detention, is looking up. And he's praying that Ephesus, in their various house-to-house -house expressions, are able to look up also. As we look up, we get to reflect on all sorts of awesome things. And, and chapter 1 has shown us some great things. We get to reflect on being in Christ. Uh, we get to reflect on who we are. Um, being chosen, being adopted, being redeemed, forgiven. We get to reflect on that mystery called being predestined. Um, looking up, we grow in faith and love. And, uh, and we really need both of those running well in this season because they serve as the spiritual antidote to fear. Uh, as we look up, we find wisdom and revelation. Uh, we, the eyes of our hearts are more and more open to the light of God as we do that. Think of the pinhole camera, little light in, lasting impression the longer it sits. Looking up, we find hope. Um, that's a desired product in the city right now. Um, I have spoken at length from a distance, <laughs> if you, if, as it were, um, to different people uh, throughout the week. And, and, and I'm finding that the word hope coming from a Christian perspective, is something people are finding actually quite assuring right now. So Peter says that we need to have a reason to explain ourselves when others notice that we've got it. And Paul here tells us to look up to find it in the first place. Uh, I really believe at this time, hope is our missional currency right now. If you've got it and you can explain it, you're going to make a missional difference in the world right now. And as we look up, we will discover that this hope is not without foundation. Our hope comes from the power of God. And Paul says that that power is that same one that rose Christ from the dead. It's the one that will place all the enemies under Christ's feet. And it's the one that appointed Christ as head and source of life for the church. So even in our house-to-house -house settings right now, we're a powerful body filled with the resurrection life of Christ, who is the head. And as we look up and as we ponder these things, we'll begin to understand these things more and make them stronger convictions in our lives. And as that happens, the shadows of the Artemises in our lives will continue to diminish. And that's good news. We're going to continue to look up this week. Uh, we're going to go into our next passage, which is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. 
Verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Would you do me a favor and leave your thumb in your Bible for a moment? We'll come back to the rest of the passage in a moment. In recent weeks, we've become quite indoctrinated about key things to do with health and hygiene, haven't we? Uh, I'll introduce you now to something that this time a year ago was actually a close companion of mine. <laughs> this is lychee-scented hand sanitizer. I bought this in a chemist at Delhi Airport in India. Uh, and this got me through the crazy times where even having a shower wasn't all that sanitary. Uh, before every meal, this bottle got a workout. Um, after every ministry time where you shook lots of hands and laid hands on people, this bottle got a workout. There's loads of expert advice out there telling us that this is absolutely necessary when you travel places like that. Uh, despite the nasty smell of this stuff and the toll it takes on your skin, the group I was with took it as gospel that this is what you do. This was human wisdom clung to in an act that you might consider faith. There's no other option on the list. Uh, we simply adopted the, the view that for a Western visitor to India, it's a case of sanitize or get sick. There's a whole heap of good wisdom out there. There's stuff that we can rely on quite heavily, stuff we can safely take at, safe, at face value and adopt without too much questioning. But there's also a good deal of stuff in the world that calls for faith and trust, but in return doesn't, and in fact can't, deliver anything of life-giving value back. The Ephesians are being told here that before they looked up, before they were in Christ, before they knew the Spirit and all that God provides, before they knew it, faith and love to its fullness was, they were walking in a way of life that was headed for disaster. They were ensconced in trust to an ideal that couldn't deliver what they really needed. Given how Paul frames this whole passage, I would suggest to you today that the citizens of Ephesus were looking for something called favour. And the Ephesians had devised at least 50 ways to pursue that. The Jews had their law, and favour was found uh, by studying deeper and deeper into the Torah and its requirements. The magicians, which was a real deal over there, they had their incantations and spells. Uh, they understood that something in the air, something in the atmosphere around them didn't favour them. And they felt they needed to manipulate the spiritual system, as it were. The thinkers, well, they looked to their philosophers. The Stoics in particular taught to let things run their course or to let nature, including human nature, simply be what it is. The patriots, well, they had their emperor. He could be given honour like a god and, uh, and to acknowledge him as lord every year 
actually ensured a degree of social and political favour. And the religious had their deities, with Artemis leading the charge. Everything in Ephesus ultimately appealed to her in some way for favour, particularly when it appeared that the fates might be conspiring against them. But Paul tells them that this is not where real favour is found. Instead, he, he describes all of this as the way of the world, the flesh and the devil. It's humanity striving to get better, about, uh, to, to feel better about themselves and ignoring what their sinful human nature actually produces. Uh, it's a whole heap of counterfeit worldviews claiming the way to enlightenment and wholeness. But at the same time, there is a dark superpower pulling the strings behind the scenes to ensure that, that the outcomes they're looking for will never actually be realised. The favour they sought would not be found there. Because there was no life or substance in any of this. For generations, they've been placing their faith in this. They were positioning themselves under this spout. Not understanding that it ultimately offered nothing. It nurtured nothing. There was no life in the spout. No life to be found in the recipient either. And the hard, sacrificial, superstitious, fearful work they put into these things was actually only rendering them more and more lifeless. Friends, we can still find ourselves being swept up in these things, though. The flesh, even this one we offer to Jesus, is not always our friend. Romans 8, Paul tells us that the mind governed by the flesh will be hostile to God. And he also writes in Galatians 5 uh, that those who belong to Christ Jesus have, uh, have, been, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Ultimately, this is supposed to be the case. But sometimes we have a hard time doing that, don't we? And then there's the viewpoints of the world. And those are rarely helpful. We've had a few battles uh, in this regard in recent years with a number of issues of morality pushing for greater cultural acceptance and even legal presence. I was saddened to see just a, a very recently um, the New Zealand government quietly pushed through awful pro-choice uh, legislation, even while the nation was reeling from the lockdown measures all around them. And even as this pandemic rises, my Facebook feed is being peppered with conspiracy theories about this and that and about how this is all going to turn out. And there are loud so-called Christians calling for action in this time that the Jesus of the Gospels actually would not. I might just sidebar that for a second. Can I give you a little tip, friends? If a Christian calls for something that looks like zealot behavior, something that Jesus would say, put your sword away, let me guarantee you that's not a Christian response. Besides that, though, let me dial back here. There are times where as believers we filter in our, our faith and our theology through the groupthink of the world before we consider the scriptural perspective. 
Um, I've actually had Christians over the years tell me that the things have evolved beyond the writing of antiquity and, and we just need to get with the cultural program. Uh, the world has moved on and so should we, apparently. Um, I think James would have an answer to that, 4-4. <laughs> he, he actually says this, that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Okay, uh, so if we choose to be a friend of the world, uh, we end up becoming an enemy of God. It's plain to see in all this that the desires of the flesh fight with God. The group think of the world fights with God. So it shouldn't be a surprise that the devil is revealed as the source of that sort of necrotic thinking. That's why there's hostility and a spirit and turmoil and death within our being. You know, in the state of pleasing self or embracing the world, or as we resist God and listen to the devil when it should be the other way around, Nothing resembling true life can emerge from that. So sadly, in that state, we actually remain spiritually dead. Now I say all that knowing that Paul has come from the view in this chapter that this is what we once were. The beauty of Ephesians is that the church receiving this is actually not being corrected here. Uh, they clearly have faith and love. They have conviction. They have maturity. Uh, they have the Holy Spirit. They have proof of life. And that's a now and eternal thing because of the Spirit. And as they look up, all these other things will come too. And so this description of putting their faith in dead things is actually past tense for them. For most of us listening here today, you're sitting in the lounge rooms now, I would agree with you when you would say, yep, that's in my past also. But some tuning into this broadcast, you might actually might identify as being in this very place right now. You're looking for something in life and the word favour somehow resonates. The, the world around you doesn't seem to have it. You may have tried everything and worked and strived awfully hard to attain it somehow, but it's just not there. It's just out of reach always. I, I want you to listen to this next bit. And I'm actually going to speak to you personally in just a few minutes. For those with your Bibles open, let's continue to read as we go into this. It goes on to say this at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with, us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This part of the story contains favour with substance. Artemis offers nothing. 
Magic and superstition offers nothing. Religious sacrifices, ticking boxes, acts of appeasement, manipulation of the deities, it's all arduous, but ultimately yields nothing. The emperor offers nothing, neither does mere human philosophy like Stoicism. These options all lack the key traits which are found in the very character of the God that we know. The favour we have in God comes from his character trait of love. And it comes from his wealth chest of mercy and grace. See, we've seen a heap of press conferences in this week around the issue of wealth. We've seen billions of dollars of public money being lavished on the people. We've seen the relief of some in the face of all that. It's going to assure many of us uh, that we'll at least have income in the trying times we're in. And in the short term, I believe it's going to get us through. And I do pray that we can trade well out of it after it's all done. But God offers us an unlimited wealth to all people here. He too sees a deadly pandemic. A bigger one though, the one known as sin. And he responds not out of his voted responsibility, but out of his own love and mercy and kindness. He sees a necrotic people sitting piously under an empty spout of humanism and demonic bondage. But through the actions of Christ, calls for all to come and sit under his spout. His spout of favour instead. You see, that's what this word grace actually means. Favour undeserved. God doesn't say work for it. He says, trust it. Place your faith in it. When we sit under this favour, you're going to work for it. When it rightly appears nothing's happening, you're going to want to try to figure it out. You'll think long and hard about how to turn the tap on. You'll surmise long and hard about the character of the person supposedly holding the nozzle. You'll come up with all sorts of crazy ways to try and get what you need. And it will exhaust you. All you're going to find is this constant state of death. Right now, there may be breath and circulation and electrical impulses through our body. There might be intellectual activity going on, but spiritually, outside of Christ, we are all dead. The option, the answer, is to stop the works and step into grace. The passage tells us that even while we were dead, grace made us alive again in Christ. We got to the spout and we found it running. There was no work on our behalf. And life came anyway. And this life has far-reaching impact. There is this mysterious reality in play here that tells us we are already living out to some degree 
the resurrection that we will actually experience in the age to come. And in this same mysterious way, there is a positioning that we participate in now, which is also a taste of what is yet to come. Why do these mysterious things exist? Well, that's in the last verse. We're reminded that this life in Christ that we have is nothing to do with what we bring, but everything he has done. And also these mysterious realities lead us to understand that we are empowered and we are motivated to live life in a distinctly different way. Because we're saved through this work of grace, we're then equipped to be the agents of grace in the world around us. We're equipped to do the good works of Christ. And we play our empowered part in the foretold redemption narrative. Let's consider a couple of quick things now. First, that person that I said I'd get back to in a few minutes, well... Here we are, friend. That word favour is powerful for Christianity. You'll get exhausted looking for favour in all the wrong places. Maybe you already are. Perhaps someone has even described the Christian faith as a series of steps or works in order to get what you need. But this is not in step with the Scriptures. Salvation through Jesus is all about what is offered in mercy and love from God. Favor undeserved is offered because Jesus has paid all of sin's penalties. Faith is the simple posture of stepping into the shower of grace. And we do that by being in Christ. It's trusting the power, the, the, the favour that comes from a loving, merciful and kind God and nowhere else. It's clinging to what is offered here by following Jesus, whose death has made all of this possible. It's trusting that both your life now as well as your eternity changes because of what is offered. If you're saying, yep, that's what I need to do then I'm going to help you get started. I'm going to lead you through a prayer at this time. But I'm also doing this expecting that you'll come into contact with us as soon as you do this, uh, because I want to help you further with that. Uh, it takes a moment to make that first step to get under the shower, but it's a lifetime to stay in it. Any message on our Facebook or YouTube accounts will come directly to me. So please make contact after this. If you're ready, Repeat this prayer line by line after me. Lord Jesus, I choose today to put my trust in you. I ask you to forgive me of my sinful attitudes, the ones that have looked for this sort of favor in all the wrong places. I turn my back on the world, the flesh, and the devil. And instead, I choose to trust Jesus. I make you the Lord of my life and I place my faith in you. Amen.
please, if you prayed that, make contact immediately so I can talk to you more about that. For the others, friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a, a well-worn liturgy that we stayed in our baptism services, and you saw it a few weeks ago. Do you turn your back on the world, the flesh, and the devil and choose to serve Jesus all the days of your life? Can I just ask, how is that vow going for us? Uh, we don't keep to that without a bit of turmoil from time to time. Our own fleshly desires do get in the way. Sometimes that's our own Artemis. It's our flesh. It's what we want, you know, and, and it looms over the thing God wants. Um, our Christian worldview will get challenged by popular culture and, and frankly, the devil will just outright try to mess with our heads. Um, if you're anything like me, you'll notice that these troubled times actually do exacerbate that just a fair bit. So let me encourage you, um, in the grace we know, fight on, stand strong in the faith you have. And one more encouragement, friends. There's often times in our lives where we slip into the wrong shower. Sometimes we speak of faith uh, along the lines of a, a try-harder sort of deal. Um, somehow, sometimes we feel like God's favour has escaped us because we didn't do enough. Can I encourage you to relax a bit? We're assured here that through grace, we are God's handiwork. That too comes in a now and not yet sort of way. It speaks of us being recreated in the image of Christ, but at the same time anticipating a masterpiece in the age to come. One commentator actually suggests that we could, we could possibly phrase it that we are God's work in progress. It's a begun work that has a great final design. I kind of like that. So keep your faith up. Stay in his grace. And God, who is merciful and kind and loving and faithful, will complete what he starts in us.